If you hear my voice crack, I'm oh, getting over a cold. I didn't think this was going to happen. I promise I'm not having problems like whatever Brady. No. Nobody remembers that? Peter Brady? Yeah. I'm, I'm the only Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. Owe nothing, owe, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in daytime, not in orgies or and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Our relationships can be some of the most challenging and yet rewarding things in our lives. And this true is true on all levels, from friends to spouses to children to coworkers, wherever they may be, they're full of complications and they're full of joy. We love our friends, but our friends will often hurt us. We love our spouses, but we often fight with them. We love our children, but they often try our patience. My parents are here this morning. You can ask them in the ways in which I've tried their patience. As Christians, we have to consider how are we going to handle our relationships from those that are personal to relationships with people we barely even know. How do we interact with the world around us? How do we treat people that maybe we don't exactly see eye to eye with, that we don't get along with? How are we, Paul is continuing to answer, going to be transformed and not conformed in all aspects of our life from our relationships to the way we live before this world? Paul here is going to use the idea of obligation to connect what he's just said about how we treat governing authorities to how we treat everyone. He says, oh, he moves from one obligation to another. You're obliged to submit to authority. As we saw last week, you're to respect them. You're to honor them. You're to even pay taxes to them. But you're also obliged to love your neighbor. This is a never-ending obligation. You will never fulfill the debt of love you have to one another. You can never say, I've loved enough, I'm done, and walk away. Paul will tell us how love fulfills the law. This becomes a key point that he's going to make here. 
we love others, and that is a fulfillment of the law. We love because we have been moved from darkness into Christ. Ultimately, here we'll see in our text that Paul is returning to where he began. He has called us to sacrificial living. You must live sacrificially. You must then clothe yourself in Christ. You are to live out life in the new age. And you can only do this through the power of the gospel. The gospel which enables us to renew our minds, to transform our conduct. This transformation that flows out from Christ, he being the one who empowers us. We work towards what Christ has already done for us. It also looks forward, even as we do this imperfectly, to when we will do it perfectly, when Christ comes again, when we are ultimately conformed to the image of God. And so as we come to our text this morning, we're going to see three things. First, we're going to see the law of love. Second, we're going to see the putting off of darkness. And third, we're going to see the putting on of Christ. The law of love, the putting off of darkness, and the putting on of Christ. Paul begins here, in essence, by saying, pay your debts. Owe no one anything except to love each other. Pay your debts. This is true to everyone. Pay what is owed to governing authorities, but also pay those you owe money to. This is not Paul saying, don't ever take out loan. You can certainly take out loan if you're going to buy a house or a car. That's fine. He's saying, but you need to pay your debts in the way in which you agreed that you're going to pay them. Owe no one anything. The thing that you will always owe, though, is love. Yes, you have obligations, but you also have the obligation to love each other. We are to love one another. First, we are to love one another here. We love one another, the Christians, but then we also go out and we love everyone else. Jesus makes this point in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Who loved his neighbor? This Samaritan, this enemy of the Jews. We are to love those who may be unknown to us. We are to love those who may even be hostile towards us because the one who loves others fulfills the law. And we could stop here and go, Paul, why do we care about the law? You've told us over and over again that we're free from the law, that Christ has fulfilled the law. But he's saying here, as Christ fulfills the law and as he loves others, we are to love like Christ loves. And in doing so, we've also fulfilled the law. It is the type of fulfilling of the law that is only possible in Christ. It is something that we are to do endlessly and tirelessly until Christ comes again. Even as we understand we will do not, not do it perfectly, we continue to do it. And Paul here, like Jesus did in the Gospels, quotes for us Leviticus 19.18. That which it says there, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge 
against the son of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. I am the Lord. The question is, how are we to love? And the answer Paul gives us is the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. And any other commandments. <laughs> That's the blanket statement, right? This is the way we love. We fulfill the commandments. Paul, in essence, is saying those thou shalt not are an expression of love. The first four, of course, teach us how do we love God? We have no other gods before him. We don't take his name in vain. We remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. How do we love our neighbors? We don't kill them. We don't steal from them. We don't sleep with their wives or their husbands. We don't lie about them. That's how you love your neighbor. Jesus pairs Leviticus 19 with Deuteronomy 6.5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and your strength. And when he does this in Matthew 22, he says, These are the two commandments which all the law and the prophet hinge upon. All the law and the prophets can be summed up in these two things. Love God and love your neighbor. And it's out of a deep concern for ourselves that should be the character, the, the way we characterize loving others. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Not selfishly, not in an egotistic way, but a whole and complete sort of love. You take care of yourself. Now, there's ways in which we can stay here and say, let me tell you ways about your way you're loving yourself too much. And that's certainly true. But we also love ourselves in a good way, don't we? For when you are hungry, what do you eat? Do. Give the answer away. Eat. When you are thirsty, what do you do? You drink. When you're tired and your body says it's time to go to bed, you go to sleep. You take care of yourself, hopefully, in a whole and complete way. We are to take care of others in the same way. In a whole and complete way. Oh, well, pastor, that's well, fine and good. But I saw this one person on the side of the road, and I just knew that they were just going to use that on drugs and alcohol. So I chose not to help them. No. We love even when it's hard, even when we don't agree with it. In Christ, we have a new law. We are no longer under the law of Moses, strictly speaking. We don't follow the law of Moses for the sake of law of Moses. We follow the law of the Moses for the sake of Christ, because we are under Christ. And love does no wrong to our neighbor. No wrong. No wrong. That means there's no time in which we are allowed to do wrong to our neighbor. But it also means that we must actively be seeking the good of our neighbor. This is the whole, what the whole scripture aims at. The positive of the thou shalt not are equally true. And this is the way that love fulfills the law. As we love, we follow the law, we bring it to its fulfillment. 
be a more important concept in the whole of the Christian life is this. Love God, love neighbor. Jesus himself said, you want to know what my word is about? It's about loving God and loving your neighbor. And I think that we like to believe that we do a good job of this. And I think that's certainly true. We do at times a good job of this. But I think that's only partly true. I think we also fail in many ways. How often in the church have you grown discontent with someone sitting next to you? How often have you gone to someone else and expressed your discontentment? How often do we complain about the way people act or think? How often have we come to church with a critical spirit and a critical attitude? But we fail not only in the church, we also fail in the world. How do we speak about the people around us? Do we judge people with our speech? Do we have contempt for those who are not just like us? Last week we talked about politics, old-fashioned. How do you love those who don't share your same political thoughts? Do our words get heated? Do we show patience and love that we're called to? We must remember that the heart of the law is love for one, of one another. No matter what political party, no matter how they might injure us, no matter how different someone might be from you, you owe them love. Paul intentionally uses the word owe here. He's not saying, I really, really hope that you might just show them some love and grace in this situation. He doesn't say that. He says you owe them love. You are obligated to show them love. You must show them love even when you don't want to show them love. You must put off darkness. This is our second point. We must put off darkness in our lives Paul transitions here in verse 11 by saying, besides this, you know the time. Besides this, because of all of what Paul has set up forth here, because it is the will of God for you to sacrificially serve, you must understand the time in which you live. Paul describes this time by using the metaphor of day and of night. And to really, I think, understand and appreciate what Paul's doing here, we have to understand the culture in which they lived in. Because we didn't have these, they didn't have these wonderful things here called lights. When it was daytime, you were to be working, and when the day went away, you fell asleep. Oils and candles were a luxury. You rose at dawn, 
Only a lazy person would stay in bed after daylight. Uh, we didn't have, a lot of you work shift jobs. There wasn't these kind of shift jobs where you're working first, second, third shift. Everybody worked the same shift. It was called daylight. And when daylight went away, that was it. And he says, look, you must wake from your sleep. In essence, he's saying, stop being lazy. Wake up. There are to be no lazy people in the kingdom of God. You are to be alert and eager. You are to present yourselves daily as a living sacrifice. You know the time. And and I don't think he's trying to be weird or crazy with this time metaphor. It's something that is very straightforward. You know the time. The time has come for you to wake. Your salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. Salvation being the final deliverance from our sin. Yes, we have been saved, but we are continuing to be saved. This thing that will not happen fully until Christ returns again. And Paul is saying that time is nearer than it was before. When is Paul expecting this to happen? I don't think that it's necessarily that Paul believes that it's going to happen immediately, even to his audience. I think there's some uh, notion that it will, but I think more so is his conviction that that time is always imminent. Paul understands that the next thing that's going to happen in redemptive history is Christ's return. There's nothing else that we're waiting for. The time is always near. It is certain that it is coming. And he says, we must be prepared for this. We must be looking forward to our blessed hope. You know the time. Wake from your sleep. Salvation is nearer to us than than when we first believe. And that's always true, right? The statement of salvation is nearer than when you first believe. Well, guess what? Salvation is nearer than when we just started a few minutes ago, right? Because... Time is always progressing on. We're always getting closer to Christ's return. He's saying it is nearer now than when you first came to faith. So wake up. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. There's no more waiting. We have a terrible tendency in the Christian life to say, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll get better tomorrow. Oh, well, you know, church, that's, that's just, I'm too busy. But it's, if I get this done and this done and this done, then I'll have enough time and I'll be okay. I still have time to get right with God. It'll be okay. And Paul says, no, wake up. The time is now. Your salvation is at hand. The night is far gone. Cast off the work of darkness. Cast off the work of darkness. Paul begins to use the language of clothing here. He's saying, take it off. Put it off from you and put on the armor of light. Renounce the works of darkness, those of the evil realm, those that are not the work of the Christian. And in place on it, put on light. 
those things that are appropriate. Because the Lord is near, we must consider how we live. And our manner of life is to be a certain way. We are to live a life that is decent, a life that is lived in the light of day. Where are those, as Christians, who are waiting, theologians call it the parousia, or the parousia, for the day when Christ comes again? We are waiting for that with anticipation. But we also experience it now. We know that it is present by faith. And therefore, there are things that we are to avoid. And the first strain of things here, uh, I think, are directly tied together with nighttime activity. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality. These first four things that are kind of tied to nighttime activity. That's why they say the statement, it's five o'clock somewhere. This notion that it has to be a certain time of day for it to be appropriate to drink, it's associated with nighttime. And again, I'm not saying drinking is wrong, but drunkenness is certainly wrong. And then he moves on to these other things, uh, to quarrelsome and jealousy. I think he's targeting the Roman church and saying, these are things that are true of you, but he's also targeting us and saying, these are things that are true of you as well. He's rebuking us for our divisiveness. The putting off of darkness is something that we must actively be doing. We who are saved cannot wear the dark garments of darkness. Our life must be conformed to the new man, and so we cannot be lazy. So we do not covet, we do not steal, we do not commit adultery. These are the things that we're putting off, but we're also putting on the armor of light. And so there's a positive side of this. Not only do you not kill, but you actively promote the life of others. If you see someone who is starving and in need and you ignore them, what are you doing? Are you promoting their life? We do not steal. Are you actively promoting the property of others? That's the implication here. Are you actively promoting, okay, it says, thou shalt not commit adultery, but are you actively promoting the marriage of those around you? Or when people come and say, let me tell you about what my spouse did and you go oh that dirty rotten so and so are you promoting the marriage this is what's true you must look sound and act like a Christian if you are to put off darkness and there's an inverse question here if you don't look sound and act like a Christian what are you If you don't look, act, and sound like a Christian, what is it? If, it, if it walks like a duck, it sounds like a duck, what is it? It's a duck. 
Christian then is to be putting on Christ. This is how he concludes here, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You're to put on Christ himself as a result of your conversion, as a result of your faith. You have been incorporated into Christ. You share in his death. You share in his burial. You share in his resurrection. And so now, if you are Christian, what's true for you today is that you have been severed from the old man. You have been severed from this body of sin. You are now a new creation. You are right now a new creation. And so you are to put on Christ. You are to be consciously embracing him. His character should be your character. The things that he would do is the things that you should do. The things that he would say are the things that you should say. You are to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is into his image that you are to be transformed. And Paul says here, make no provision for the flesh. We like to do this thing where we say, yeah, that's good, but let me keep this. This is mine. Everything else is Jesus's. That's good. I'm good with that. But let me have this. Paul says, make no provision for the flesh. Leave no part of you where the flesh can remain, where darkness can hide. Leave no part of anything in you that would pull you away from Jesus. Embrace Christ, the one who provides the victory for you. Therefore, if you are in Christ, he is your garment. He is the thing that should cover you. Here's an example for you. When you go out into the world, you can look at people and often know what they do. If you see someone in a police outfit, what are they? They're a policeman. If you see someone in a fireman's outfit, guess what they are? They're a fireman more often than not. If you see someone in a doctor's coat, you go, that's a doctor. If you see someone in nurse's scrubs, you go, that's a nurse. If you're wearing a Chick-fil-A outfit, I know you probably work at Chick-fil-A. Thank you, Shevna. Shevna works at Publix. You know how I know? Because she has a public shirt on. <laughs> the thing that you wear says something about you. When people look at you, what do they see? Now, what am I not saying here? I'm not saying that, hey, the implication of this is that you should come to church looking really nice so that people can see that you look really nice. That's not what I'm saying. When people look at you, what do they see? Do they look at you and go say, I see Christ. I see Christ all over you. We can get caught up in appearances, and that's, that's certainly wrong. But we have to be caught up in our character. Do we have the character of Jesus. Do people look at us and go, whether I hate them or love them, whether I agree with them or disagree with them, I know that that person is a follower of Jesus. 
If I were to right now say, hey, write me 10 names of people you see on a weekly basis, and I were to go talk to those 10 people and say, hey, did you know so-and-so was a Christian? Would they say yes or no? Do people look at us and see that we represent Christ well? Or do we allow unwholesome things from our lips? Do we come here to church on Sunday and praise God and on Monday curse him with our words? Do we come here and say, yes, we are to love one another, and then on Monday we begin to talk about one another in negative ways? Are we living that dual nature, that two lives? We cannot make provision for the flesh. If you make provision for the flesh, Satan will certainly capitalize on that. But we are to be wrapping ourselves in the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> let me, excuse me. Let me leave you with this. I'm not telling you to try hard. I'm not telling you that you need to make sure people know that you're Jesus' follower. Should they know? Yes. But this is not a try harder sermon. Paul, Romans, it's not a try harder. Gospel, it's not, his message is not try harder. His message is this. What is your identity? Is your identity Christ? If that's your identity, then that's who you are. I tell you, we don't have to know today, yesterday, who the Alabama fans around us are, are do we? No, they show us. Not a bad thing. But can that be equally true about our faith? What is your identity? Can we say with our mouth, oh yes, I'm a sinner saved by grace. But that does not affect the rest of my life. You can't say you're a sinner saved by grace and that not be who you are. They do not exist together. You cannot drape Christ over darkness. It doesn't work. You take off darkness and you put on Christ. We live under the law of love. Christ has fulfilled that law. And we live out that law through love. This is what this table's about. Christ, who knew no sin, made sin for us. Christ, who never disobeyed the law, made disobedience for us. Christ, who for us who live in darkness was made darkness for us. Christ was made sin for you.
The wrath of God was poured on him for us. So let us put off the old man. Let us put on the new man. Let him be the source of our identity. Would we live a life that reflects Christ, not because we feel like that's what we should do? Oh, I guess so. Oh, pastor. Going to convicting me now. I have to go do different things. No. Let us live a life after Christ because that's who we are. We are a new creation and let's be sold out for him. Let's. There's this expression. I'm sorry if this is crude. Poop or get off the pot. Stop sitting there. Stop just sitting there. Do something. We can't remain neutral in the Christian life. There is no neutrality. And there's no holding on so dearly to who we want to be and say, but I still want Jesus too. There's no eating, having our cake and eating it too, right? We can't do both, no matter how much... Luann, you want to have your cake and eat it too. My wife hates that statement. She's like, if you're going to have cake, why wouldn't you want to eat it? But there's not, you can't do both. We can't say, I'm going to live however immorally I want, but still have the security blanket of Jesus. Because that means we're not in Jesus. That means we're still doing whatever we want to do. So we either surrender wholly to him, or we don't. What's it going to be, Christian? Do you call yourself Christian? What's it going to be? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we so desire to be like you. And yet we are fallen and we are hard-hearted. We still struggle in our sin, Lord, would you help us? Would you enable us through the working of your spirit to put off the old man, to put on Christ? Would we understand our identity? Yes, we may fail, but would that not be what identifies us? Would our identity be Jesus Christ? Not just in word, but in practice. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.